Matthew chapter 5, hopefully you have that by now. If not, it's the first book of the New Testament. Chapter 5 is conveniently located between chapters 4 and 6. So uh, have someone help you, and then if you're physically able, would you stand with me as we read a portion of God's Word tonight? Just a short portion. We won't tire out your legs. Verse 13. Start jumping off point tonight. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, we come before you again tonight. We want to be your disciples. It's why we're here. There's so many other things we could be doing on a Wednesday night. So many other things that compete for our attention. Lord, none of us are just looking for something to do, to fill an evening. Lord, we've come because we want to meet with you. We want you to instruct us and teach us because we need you. We need you so desperately. So Lord, would you come among us tonight? Would you be our teacher tonight? God, would you instruct us in the things of your word? I thank you so much for these precious men and women that you've gathered tonight. What a great privilege it is for me to share the word with them this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last weekend... The blockbuster of all blockbuster movies came out. Cars 2. Oh yeah. Listen, if you have a seven-year-old boy, there is no greater movie premiere. Well, maybe a Buzz Lightyear movie. That, that might be a little bit better. Buzz Lightyear is my son's hero. But other than Toy Story number 18 or whatever's going to come out next... Man, it doesn't get any better than Cars 2. Well, we were out in Texas uh, last weekend, and myself, some of you remember Jason Yetz, used to be in the ministry here. He's now uh, doing our youth out there in Paris, Texas, and he's got a couple of boys now. I've got one boy, so we were going to meet together and see Cars 2. And, and I, thought, I, didn't, I thought there was no way that that movie could be sold out. I mean, it's Paris, Texas. I mean, you know, it's on a Saturday, it's midday, and when I got to the theater, the line wrapping around the theater showed just how not smart I really am. We should have pre-bought tickets, but we didn't. And so we had to look at this, you know, gaggle of seven-year-old boys. Is that the right word? I don't know. But anyways, this group of seven-year-old boys and say to them, sorry, your dad's messed up. We can't see cars too. Oh, the look of dejection on their faces, but our saving grace. There was another sequel out that weekend. Kung Fu Panda 2. Oh yeah. Man, if you can't see Cars 2, then an equally good substitute is Kung Fu Panda 2. So we and, and Jason and myself got our boys that we, we watched Kung Fu Panda 2, but there was something we didn't really think through. Not only was it sad to not see Cars 2, 
But Jason and I didn't really think through the influence that a martial arts panda would have on a group of seven-year-old boys. But oh, were we reminded, as we walked out of the theater, my son looked at me, kind of gave me that karate pose, and he said, Dad, do you want to see my moves? No, no, I don't want to see your moves, but it was too late. And just the karate chopping began. It was worse for Jason Yetz because, you see, they were all spending the night at his house. So I gave my son a hug as he kept trying to, you know, infiltrate parts of my body. And I just let him go. And I don't know how that night went, but keep praying for the Yetzes. But anyways, it was amazing to me that an influence a panda has on seven-year-old boys. The power of influence. And I share that with you tonight because... I believe we as disciples are to be just as influential as a Kung Fu Panda. We are to be just as influential in the culture and in the world that God has put us in. And that's the next lesson in being a disciple. You see, we opened up this study that we're doing here on Wednesday nights where we're looking at those passages in the Gospels where it's not a mixed multitude. It's not that Jesus teaching the Pharisees or the Sadducees. There's plenty of those passages. But we're looking at those passages where Jesus pulled aside his disciples only and began to pour into them kingdom truths of what it was to live for the Lord with all of their hearts and all of their souls and all of their minds. And this, this series that we've begun, we've started with this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, last week we looked at, started with the Beatitudes. These kingdom attitudes that you and I are to have and seen worked out in our lives. We're to be poor in spirit. That's so different from the world. The world says pride is what you need. Self-focus is what to go after. Go after those things that just, you know, excite your flesh. Jesus says, not if you're a disciple. It starts by being poor in spirit. By really realizing there's nothing within yourself that you have to offer the Lord. And as you realize that, oh, it it brings a mourning, but then a comforting as God wraps his arms around you. Jesus says, you're here to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as you do, I'm going to fill you with who I am. I'm going to make you like me. These kingdom attitudes, what's going to happen is we implement them. Well, Jesus said, blessed are you. And we looked at last week, that word just means, oh, how happy. Man, we'll be blessed. The smile of God will be on our lives as we realize I'm doing it God's way. I'm going the way that he is determined, just the smile of God upon our lives. And therefore, no matter what trials come our way, no matter what setbacks, no matter if that girl says, pack sand, get rid of it, get out of here, bud. No matter what happens in your life, you can still have this abiding joy because you're living in the Beatitudes. You're living in these kingdom attitudes. But friends, understand this. Oh, so important for you to hear tonight. These kingdom attitudes are not just to be lived so you can be blessed. They're not to be lived just so you can have a smile on your face and an abiding joy in your life and soul. 
You see, Jesus never intended that the Beatitudes would be lived in some Christian commune, in some village where everyone can just be happy. No, God called us to live out these kingdom attitudes in the culture and community in which God has placed us in. We are to affect that culture. We're to affect that job site. We're to affect that family like a kung fu panda affects a group of seven-year-old boys. So you should have an effect on the people that you are around. And Jesus, in teaching us this, he gives us two illustrations tonight. Two illustrations of what that looks like of what we are to be as we affect culture around us. You know them. It's the picture of salt and light. Salt and light. Let's consider them. Jesus gave us two pictures of how disciples can influence the world. And the first one is he says, you are the salt of the earth. Look at verse 13 again. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Friends, I know many of you know this, but salt was so important to the ancient world. The Romans considered salt second only to the sun as its importance to life on earth. They would often pay their soldiers in salt. Instead of getting bills, you would get kind of a bag of salt, hence the phrase That guy's not worth his salt. It came from the days when the Roman soldiers would pay their soldiers in salt. The reason the Romans held salt in such a high esteem was its variety of uses, especially in that culture. Salt does many, many things. It can preserve, if you're taking notes tonight. It can preserve In the days before refrigeration, you just didn't go down to the local Costco and, you know, hook yourself up with six months worth of meat and then store it in your freezer in the garage. That that just didn't happen. If you were lucky enough to get meat, you would pack it in salt. That was the way it would be preserved. That's the way it would stay on because there's something in the chemical makeup of salt that allows it to be a preserving agent. It doesn't just preserve, it also heals for you note takers it heals first time i was in israel oh man i couldn't wait to get in the dead sea you know i had heard my whole life how you can't drown you just bob above the you know water it's like jello it's not quite that but anyway you know i'd heard these stories about you know just how amazing it was to float in the dead sea and i also heard the warnings that they were given the ladies on the trip Ladies, don't shave, they kept saying over and over again. Remember, don't shave, don't shave. And I would hear these warnings and I would think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a lady. I definitely don't shave my legs, so no big deal. So I put on my swim trunks that day, ready to go and dove right in. I never, I never, because sometimes I'm just not that smart. I I, I didn't really think through why women weren't supposed to shave their legs because the little tiny little bitty cuts, I guess, you gals get, would get some salt in there and they would burn. You see, I didn't put two and two together because the other day, clumsy me had fallen at one of the archaeological sites and I had this giant gash in the side of my leg and I didn't think it through, but oh, when I hit the Dead Sea, I could feel it. I could feel it for days. It was so bad. It was, I, was, I was screaming like a little girl. 
It was, ah, because I, oh, as the salt rushed into the wound, it was so painful. But I tell you this, before I got on that plane to go home, there was no wound because <laughs> salt had done its work. It had gone in. It hurt like, oh, but it had healed the wound completely because that's part of what salt does. It heals. It preserves. It produces thirst. It produces thirst. Oh, man, you guys know it's game time. You've got your popcorn, your pistachios, and you begin to eat. And as you do, it's like, there's still. I'm, I'm thirsty. I need something to drink. I guarantee it is a conspiracy between Doritos and Coca-Cola, but somehow they work together because if you begin to snack, you need something to drink. And you know that, whether you, you, you pound the popcorn, the Doritos, or whether you're, you're just my wife, she just salt by itself. She skips the carbs and goes right for the salt. And kind of, that was really disgusting. Never lick this pulpit. Let me just, this is free. Free information tonight. That was the grossest thing I ever have tasted in my life. Wow. Moving on. Whether, however, you get your salt from pistachios, from, the, from whatever was on the pulpit just now, listen, it produces thirst in your life. And Jesus, Jesus is not wanting to give these guys a science lesson. He's not wanting to to, to teach them the properties of salt. He wants them to understand you're the salt of the earth. You guys, you're to do these things on planet earth. In fact, the language is emphatic. It could be translated you and only you are the salt of the earth. It's up to you, Jesus is saying. The world isn't going to influence itself. The world isn't going to change. It's you who God has sent to do these things. You are supposed to preserve the world around you. Friends, I believe it's the church and the Holy Spirit in the church that is holding back the tide of evil in this world. Of course, the world doesn't think that. You you listen to them, they're like, oh, those Christians. Boy, when they're gone and they stop their protests, they stop holding their signs of what they're against. Oh, then the world will be a happy place. The world will be so good if we didn't have those stinky Christians. Well, friends, you know I believe someday they're going to get exactly what they want. And this world is not going to become a better place. In fact, the tribulation is going to break out and it's going to be an awful place because it's the church, it's you, it's the Holy Spirit in you that is holding back the tide of evil. And it should be at at your workplace. People should not want to use foul language around you. They should kind of curtail the stories around you. They should wonder if they should share the gossip with you. Because you're the salt of the earth. And if you're not, if you're not, we need to pray it through tonight. Am I being a preserving agent? You're supposed to be one that heals. Not just preserves and holds back evil, but healing when people come in contact with you. They should be brought from death to life. They should go from carnality to walking with the Lord with all of their heart because you have been around them. And when you share truth with people, sometimes it stings. Sometimes you share something with someone and it's like, ouch, brother, why, why are you sharing that? But, but it needs to happen because you are the salt of the earth. 
God has put you in those situations to be a preserving agent, to be a healing agent, to produce thirst in others' lives. When people are around you, are they challenged? Do they want to know God more? Is there a greater desire to see Him because they have been with you? I remember when Calvary Chapel Paris was planning a church in England. And it was the first trip over, the initial kind of scouting the land trip. And my schedule was a little tighter than the other guys, so I was leaving a couple days later. And, oh, it was the perfect flight for me. It left Texas at 9 at night, and it got into London in the next morning. Now, probably you don't know this about me yet, but you will. I am a professional plane sleeper. It's one of the spiritual gifts I have from God. It's not mentioned in 1 Corinthians anywhere, but I know it's in there in the Greek somewhere. I have the gift of sleeping on planes. You probably get on a plane, it's like, uh, uh. I get on a plane, it's like, uh, it's amazing. It is just a spirit. You see, there's a couple good things about being short. One of them is every seat is first class. It just is. I mean, I stretch out. It's so great. And this was a perfect opportunity. I had the window seat. I could lean up against the window and just snoo. Oh, it was going to be amazing. Until the guy sat down next to me whose book said, God is dead. Oh, no, Lord. I wish I could tell you that Pastor Jason was like, Oh, a live one. I am called to preach. My, honestly, my heart was like, there goes my nap. Oh, Lord, why? You need to, you need to pray for me. If you, if you want to never come back on a Wednesday night, that's way okay. But that's, that's where I was at. And, and, but but you know, we started to talk. And it takes about two seconds for some guy to ask, what do you do? You really want to know Mr. God is dead? I'm a pastor. And you can see his face. was like, oh, <laughs> Ah. You know, what are you doing? I'm like, we're planting a church on England. He's like, oh, a vacation on the church, huh? Like, no, I'm actually paying my own way here. What? And just question after question. It was like, oh, we talked the entire flight. He's, you know, Christians are just using it as a crutch. And just every, most of our whole 20 question series we just did, we talked about on that eight hour plane flight. And as we were landing in London, he looks over at me and he's like, I hate it that I had to sit next to you. I'm like, you hated it? I'm already saved. I'm already going to heaven. What do you mean you hated it? I missed out on a nap. He said, no, no, here's why. I've always been able to think that Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites who, you know, if you just challenge them, they'd be like, I don't know. And he said, he said this, he said, now... Now I have to deal with you. Now I have to deal with someone I've met that actually knows why they believe what they do and seems to actually be genuine. And I tell you that story not because I want to make myself the hero of the story. I hopefully killed that in the beginning. I'm not the hero of the story. But to share with you, when he said that, that was the greatest compliment I've ever received in my life. Is that what God's doing in you? That when you're around someone, they're saying like, I, I, listen, I can, I, can, I can call hypocrite. I can say all these kind of things. I have all these excuses, but I now have to deal with you. And that there's someone that loves God and knows God and I can't get around you. Friend, if not, why? 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 
Why, why not, are we not preserving those around us? Why do they feel free to speak the language and, and tell the dirty stories and share the gossip with you? Why is there not healing in their lives? Why is there not this, this, this preserving agent, this thirsting in their life because they know you? Why? Could it be, could it be that you've lost your flavor? G- Jesus said it was possible. He said salt could lose its flavor. Now, how, how? How does salt lose its flavor? Well, on another Israel trip, I was listening close to the guy. Good stuff comes out of those trips. And he was sharing with us how they, 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 they begin to cultivate you know, salt out around the Dead Sea. It's one of their main exports there in the nation of Israel. And he was sharing with us that sometimes as they go and they, they, they harvest the salt, sometimes it's no good. It's lost its ability to preserve, to, to heal, to season you know, food. And the reason it, it, it does that is when it begins to be infiltrated by the elements around it. Now let me make that simpler. Salt begins to lose its flavor when it begins to mix with the world around it. Oh, that's true for you and me too, huh? When, we, when there stops being a delineation between what I believe and I live and what I allow my eyes to watch and what I allow my ears to hear and what the world is doing, when that delineation is broken, what happens? I start to lose my effect because there's no difference. There's no difference than the, the world around me when I begin to mix with the world. I remember one time we were having a meeting in our youth ministry here when I was the high school pastor here, and it was a couple of years in, and you, you know, the first couple of years, man, that first couple of classes to come out of there were just something else. I mean, they were amazing. Most of them, most of them are in ministry all, all over the world. They, they're here and all over the place, and just a great, great couple of classes, and then, and, and then it got tougher, and there was, there was some carnality, you know, going on. And I just, I said, we need to pray about this. And we got the leadership together. And we started praying. And, and, and Phil McKay, oh, the missionary in Costa Rica, good old Phil. He like looks up from the prayer meeting. And he goes, I think it's the leadership. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> That's me. Like, who, who are you talking to? Maybe it's, maybe it's you. You're in leadership too. Maybe you're the problem. And, and as we joke for a second, then... And we let the Lord examine our hearts. And we began to repent. The Lord began to show me carnality in my own heart. You see, the reason I mention is this. So often as, as a church culture, we look at the world that's going, it's, it's stinking. And we love to blame everybody else. Well, it's Hollywood's fault. Hollywood. I can't believe you took your son to see a Hollywood movie. I don't think I am going to come back to Wednesday night. You stepped into a theater. Shame, shame, I know your name. <laughs> okay, if that's, that's your conviction, awesome. But we love to blame Hollywood. We love to blame, it's MTV's fault. That's who it is. Listen, don't get me wrong. Those things can be a poor influence on you and your family. You should exercise wisdom in what you watch and what you listen to. I believe that with all of my heart. However, maybe we should also look in the mirror and say, is it us that needs to repent? You see, God called his people together. 
And he was talking to the nation of Israel. He, he said to them this in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. He said, if my people, and just keep the first part up there, guys. Sorry. If my people that are called by my name. He, he said, Israel, when, when things start to get dark, when things start to close in around you, if my people that are called by my name, and then before they put it up, do you know what he, what's he says next? If they would elect conservative Republicans, then the world would be saved. That is not what God said. If people would boycott Hollywood and MTV, then they'll be saved. That's not what he said also. Most of you know what he said. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Friends, God said, when my people, not when the world repents, hey, the world's the world. That's how they act. That's how they behave. They're not saved yet. Of course they're wicked. God said, when my people decide to say, I need to repent. I need to get serious about my walk with God. I need to examine what I'm letting into my heart and letting into my mind. When my people begin to do that, when they begin to pray, then, then, as they seek my face, I will hear from heaven and heal them and forgive their sin and heal their land. There needs to be a difference, friends, between the way the world is going and the way that we are going. And if there is not, I say in love, we need to repent. We need to get that saltiness back in living different than the world around us. Jesus says, you are to be salt. And then secondly, secondly, he says, you're also to be light. Not just salt, but you're to be light. Look at verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're to be salt and we are to be the light of the world. You see, salt works secretly. It's that inward thing that's going on in our hearts. As we're separating from the world and God, God makes us like Him, light works openly. And both are important. The book of Acts opens up this way. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began, look at this, to do and to teach. Jesus taught with his mouth. We're, we're, we're listening to his words tonight. But he also lived it out. He lived it out in the culture that his father had put him in. And both are essential that we do and we teach, that we live. Jesus shared truth and he lived truth. Godly living with godly speech and how it works out. And I got to ask you again, does it work out in your life that way? Oh, we're letting the salt work in our lives secretly, but then are we letting that light shine? Are you excited about Jesus? Are you? There's so much to be excited about. Are you willing to say to that friend, come with me, come with me. Come with me on Wednesday nights. You've got to see this guy. He's almost like a dancing bear. He gets up there and he sweats and he tells stories. And you've got you to, 
You gotta, or, 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 or Sunday, you've got to come out. The word, oh, it's so deep. So, you've got to come with me. Well, I would do that, but I'm kind of embarrassed to you. All right, Sunday morning. Or, or maybe it's, I just, I don't want to brag about what God's doing in my life. Friends, it's not about you. It's not about you. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify who? Not you. Your Father. And friends, He is worthy. He's worthy. The one whose back was ripped open. The one whose hands were nailed to that tree. The one who became sin for you and me because he loved you so much. I'm just so blown away at who Jesus is. I just was at a, a camp out in Texas and got to share with them about the, the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15 as, as God pictures himself as a, as a shepherd who gets so excited that a lost sheep has been found. God pictures himself as a woman. He does. Some of you are saying, of course he does. Girl power. Anyways, as a woman who just has compassion over that which is lost is back. And a father, and a father who runs to meet his son and wraps his arms around him and is so excited that you want to love God. That's who God is. He's so worthy. He's so worthy of our worship. He's so worthy of our lives. He's so worthy for us to be excited about. We get excited about so many things. Why not Jesus? Why not Jesus? I love him, don't you? I love him. I love that he saved me. I love that he poured his grace out upon me. There's no one like him. I want to let my light shine, not so people will get to know me. That's not that big of a deal. So they will know Jesus. So they will know Jesus. Let your light shine before men that they would see Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Friends, I think it's simpler than we think. When Mark was telling the same story, he added something. Mark chapter 9, verse 50, he says this. It will be up on the screens. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? And then he says this, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Don't misunderstand this. I don't think Mark's saying it's just work up the good within you. No, no, no. That that contradicts the rest of the word of God. But here's what I think Mark was saying. I don't think Jesus expects his disciples to work up saltiness in a fake way. To to, to somehow be light and have some kind of fake light. No, we need to go to him. Jesus in John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And what did he promise them? If you abide in me, you are going to bear fruit. Would you hear that, precious church, tonight? You've got to abide in him. But I think we make it so hard. Oh, here's the 10 things I've got to do to be a successful Christian. Here's, I got to do this. I got to climb this mountain. I got to swim this ocean. I don't know where we get it. The Bible says, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. And as you abide in Him, fruit is going to come. It just is. It's the way it works. I mean, if you've got a fruit tree in your backyard, think this through with me. 
How many of you stroll out into your backyard and you hear like, you'd be like, what, what was that? What did you feed the cat, hon? The dog is having problems. And then you realize it's not the cat, it's not the dog. It's my apple tree. And you walk up and there's your tree. And you go, I can't believe I'm about to talk to a tree. What's the matter, tree? I'm striving. I'm producing this apple. It's almost here. Plink. Enjoy. If that's happened to you, as I've said before, you need to book a, an appointment with Steve Henschel. Not Jason Duff, not Rob Salvato. With Steve Henschel. That's who you need to see. Because you didn't talk to your tree and that didn't happen. Because that's not how it works. You get a seed. It goes into good soil. The sun comes down. It takes nutrients from the soil. And it bears fruit as it's in the process that God put it in. Friends, you're the same. You plant your heart in the seed of God's word. And you let the, the son of his spirit rain down upon you. You, let, you get out the things of the world and, the thing, and you just you soak in the goodness of God. And what will happen? You will bear fruit. You will see the salt and the light from him begin to pour into your heart because it's not going to be your own light. It's not going to be your own salt that the world needs. They need Jesus, friends. Oh, this is picture so great. We're almost done. But in Genesis chapter 1, you've got to see this. Genesis chapter 1. In verse 16, the, the verse should be up on the screen. It says, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Here in Genesis 1, verse 16, God said he made two great lights. Now this verse right here is why some people go, See, that's why I don't believe the Bible. Because the Bible's dumb. Everybody knows that the moon has no light of its own. So, duh, we don't need to read the Bible. Well, duh, listen to the word that Moses used. Moses used a very interesting word in Genesis chapter 1. It is literally, it's translated lights in English, but it's actually light givers. Now, not only in the sense of something that produces light as the sun and stars do, but is also in something that gives light and brings light as a reflection. And the moon, of course, fits that category perfectly. It has no light of its own, but it brings light to many a dark night as it reflects the light of the sun. And understanding this, it gives us some insight. Because you see, in, in, in John chapter 9, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That's who I am. I'm the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, he said, you're the light of the world. Now, New Age thinkers have taken this and said, well, it's obvious. We're all gods. He's a god, John 9. We're a god, Matthew 5. So let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. No, you are not a God. You're not a God. I hate to break your heart tonight. You're not a God. In fact, it's worse than that. You have nothing in your flesh 
that is any good to the world. What? That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter 7, Paul said, In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I know your mama has been telling you you're the light of the world since the day you were brought forth. But the truth is, there is nothing good in your flesh. But praise God, you have invited Jesus into your heart. Because Jesus is what the world needs. It doesn't need you. It needs you to hang out with Jesus. To be planted in the words of Jesus. To spend time in the presence of Jesus. And as you do, you'll have salt in you. As you do, his light will reflect from you to a lost and dying world. And the illustration goes even further when you begin to realize how the reflective light of the moon can be diminished to this world. What happens? We call it an eclipse. And there are two types of eclipse. There's a lunar eclipse. And what happens in a lunar eclipse is the world gets in between the sun and the moon. And because of that, the the, the moon's ability to reflect and give light to the world is diminished. It's the same picture as the salt. How do we lose our saltiness when we begin to mix with the world around us? How do we stop reflecting God's light to a lost and dying world? The world gets in the way. That's what happens. And friends, I really believe we need to do what David did tonight. David said, search me, O God. See if there be any unclean thing within me. David would pray, God, I I don't want there to be any, any carnality, anything in my heart that would stop this reflection of your love to a lost and dying world. Show me, God, because sometimes I don't even know. Sometimes I'm harboring sin and bitterness. I don't even know it or I've justified it. I put some religious phrase on it that, oh, it's, it's God inspiring me to be this way. Oh, we are so wicked. We need God to shine the light of His Spirit on our hearts and show us and let Him just take that stuff out that we can reflect Him to a lost and dying world. There's one more type of eclipse. That's a solar eclipse. And that happens not when the world gets in between the sun and the moon, but when the moon gets in between the sun and the world. And friends, we too can blot out the love of God toward His world when we get between Him and the world He loves so much. Sometimes with our attitudes we bring, with the hypocrisy that we live. And don't misunderstand me. I think think all of us, are hypocrites in one sense or another. I mean, if being a hypocrite is not living up to what you know is right, in just a few verses we'll get to, not tonight, don't worry, we're, we're, we're almost done, but in a few weeks, we'll see Jesus say, be perfect as my heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. That's the standard. How you doing? You hypocrite. You know that's the standard. That, that, that's what I mean. We all fall short. That's what I'm saying. But sometimes we do such a poor job representing Jesus to this world. He loves this world. He wants to see those people that walk in the back door that just don't look right. Come to know him. And how dare we sometimes stick up our noses? Well, they don't look right. They don't talk like I do. They're obviously involved in some sin. I can smell it on them. 
man, shame on us. I love it that tax collectors and sinners came to hear Jesus. Tax collectors. That's not too bad. Those are just guys with good government jobs, right? Not in Jesus' day. And those are the guys that sold out their own countrymen, that were working for the Roman government, stealing money. Sinners was a term that just, man, any, any, any prostitute, drug addict, alcoholic, all in that term sinner. And it said, the Bible says they would come and they'd hear Jesus. There was something in them that drew those people to him. What about you and me? Friends, I believe, I believe with all of my heart and I need to be the first one in this line that we need to say to the Lord tonight, Lord, I want you to search me. I want you to clean out the junk that needs to go. Lord, I, I need you to just show me what I'm allowing that's taking away my ability to be salt, that's blocking my ability to reflect your love and your light to a lost and dying world. Lord, show me tonight, not tomorrow, not next week, tonight. I want to know tonight so I can repent, so I can say, Lord, change me, work in me. And then, Lord, I want to be planted in good soil. I want to listen to your word. I want to worship your name that I can just bear fruit, not by striving to become somebody, just by hanging out with you just by being connected to who you are, that you could bear fruit in my life. Amen? Amen. Well, let's bring the worship team up since you said amen. Let's do, just, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's take, I promised you, 8 o'clock on these Wednesday nights, and I will keep to my promise. Who I will keep to my promise. But that means we got 21 minutes. And I want to worship Jesus. I want to hang out with Jesus. I want to let his spirit begin to speak to my heart because I need him to speak to my heart and begin to shine his light and say, that, that area right there, that, that needs to go. And, and, and this, this needs to get put in. Man, I think it's time for the Holy Spirit to make application of the message tonight in our hearts. So Father, we come before you. And Lord, those of us in this room that know you and love you, we're your disciples. Lord, we pray you would do some heart surgery on us tonight. God, most of us don't even need to pray. We know, we're well aware of those things in our lives that are contrary to your word. They're contrary. God, not tomorrow, not next week. God, tonight. Tonight, may you do some surgery in our hearts. God, may we leave this place different. Not because we've made some great declaration to you of how good we're gonna become, but because we've realized, Lord, we just need to hang out with you. And let you clean out the junk and the garbage that we might properly reflect you to a lost and dying world. God, I pray there would be a determination in each of your disciples tonight to see how close we can get to you. Not how much sin we're going to overcome, not how many people we're going to lead to Christ, but just how close we can get to you. Because you'll take care of the rest. As we abide in you, you'll produce the fruit. So I pray our heart's determination, our heart's cry, is that we would just say, Lord, I want to make this summer, the summer I re-fall in love with you, the summer I draw near to you with all my heart, because 
Lord, there's no one like you. There's no one so worthy, so amazing. But Lord, I also want to pray tonight for anyone in this place that has not given their heart to you. That maybe walked away from you and is far. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight. I pray for the Wednesdays to come. I pray you'd fill this sanctuary with men and women that need to know you as their Lord and Savior. And that you'd even use some that are here to invite friends and invite those that need to hear the gospel. But Lord, for any that be here tonight, anyone that's watching online, anyone that'll hear this study at a later date, Lord, anyone that would hear these words that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that this moment would be the moment that they'd stop running and stop fighting and come and surrender to you. And if that's where you are tonight, hey, God loves you. He doesn't want to give to you church or some empty religion. He wants to give to you a relationship with himself. And how you enter into that, well, the Bible just says, Romans 10, 9, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. You realize with your head, I need Jesus. I I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. And then you confess with your mouth, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life. And so, so, if that's where you're at tonight, right now where you sit, in the quietness of your heart, maybe you'd cry out to him, Lord, come into my heart. Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this. Lord, would you come into my heart? Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to teach me what it means to truly be a Christian. For God, tonight, I give my life fully and completely to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to worship, and as we do, there'll be men and women to my right and left that would love to pray with you. If you want to sit there and worship, do it. If you want to stand and worship, do it. If you want to come up front here and just have some time with God, do it. If you want to grab a corner, go for it. Let's worship the Lord together. But if you need prayer, these men and women will be available for whatever's going on in your life, but especially if you gave your heart to the Lord tonight. Because we don't want to lead you into some religious prayer. We want to help you walk with God, but we've got to know that you prayed that prayer tonight. So come forward. Get some prayer for whatever tonight, but let's worship Jesus together. Amen. Let's go. Glory. Hallelujah.